0: Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture.
1: Hey, hoopheads! we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court. Features and boards and the green light plus our nba team focused podcasts cavalier central knock a buck 305 culture spanning the spurs daily thunder motor city hoops axes and o's nba breakdown la hoops the wizards hoops analyst at the buzzer and lakers fast break oh and don't forget to check out our flagship the hoop heads podcast hosted by me mike cleansing and my co-host jason sunkel Featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA. Hey hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the IFAST, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com teampricing team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot
0: Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Dr. Brian Garrity. He is the director of the Sport Coaching Master's Program at the University of Denver. Dr. Garrity played football at John Carroll University. He interned with the Cleveland Indians and served as strength and And conditioning coach for the men's athletic teams at the University of Tennessee. And he's currently authoring a chapter on bully coaching for an upcoming book. Dr. Garrity, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast.
2: Great to be here with you, Dave, sharing a little bit and and learning as well, having a good time. So let's do it.
0: You have what I think is a very interesting job. The the official title is the director of the Master of Arts in Sports Coaching Degree Program at the University of Denver. So, Dr. Garrity, my first question for you is, are you basically coaching the future coaches of our student athletes?
2: Yes. And now we're done. This is a good show.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Good night, Cleveland. <laughs> but this is the first, honestly, this is the first time I've, I, I've, I've stumbled on something like this. How did this come about? Was this something, what led you down this road?
2: Yeah. So so I'll answer that, but there's really two good questions. I think kind of what you're getting at is how did I personally get a, get into this kind of role, but also... What is this whole coach education sort of thing, too, which is a larger, longer, uh, historical sort of question to get into, too. Both are both are great, but just, I think, different. So for for myself, yeah, I played like you said, I played at Carroll and then um, ended up interning with the Cleveland baseball team in strength conditioning. Uh, Long story short, I ended up at Tennessee. I was a strength coach there for eight years, mostly with football and baseball. Also did uh, cheerleading for a year, tennis for a year. And we all helped out, but we had so many coaches on staff that uh, a lot of the teams had their own strength coach, uh, sometimes multiple strength coaches, uh, like for football, basketball. And so it was. I was in grad school the whole time at Tennessee, um, except for one year when we started having kids. So from 2001 to 2009, I did a master's in human performance and sports studies with a concentration in sport management, and then my Ph.D., the title of the program I was in changed, I think, three times while I was there. But it's it's actually educational leadership and policy studies. But I was really studying uh, sports psychology, sports sociology, cultural studies of education. Uh, I always enjoyed right like being a strength coach. I always enjoyed being in a weight room. Love you know physiology, biomechanics, nutrition, but never really saw myself in a lab doing that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I started studying sports sociology, cultural studies, where I was like, you know, this is really kind of what I like. I, I like this really messy, murky, uh, gray area, uh, and, and you kind of learn. For me, I learned all these new words and ways of looking at the world that helped me make explain, uh, help me make sense of things that I was thinking about, but I didn't have the vocabulary to to understand it. And so, uh, when I was coaching Tennessee, it was see, it was 2008. I was getting close to finishing my dissertation. Coach Fulmer, uh, a football coach, right, had gotten fired at the time in in a fall, like October of 2008. Lane Kiffin was hired about January of 2009, and you could just kind of tell. I I I I laugh because I think right, you could tell like it was gonna be a dumpster fire like the next decade at Tennessee was going to be super interesting uh, and probably not in a good way. And so I left I started applying for a few uh, faculty professor jobs. And I had an interview at Southern Miss and I got that job and was there for five years. And and we had an undergraduate, a master's and a PhD in sport-related areas, lots of them actually. And then Denver was looking in 2014 to start a brand new master's of arts and sport coaching degree. So, again, I interviewed for that one and got the job and have been here starting programs ever since. And, and we've got other certificate programs. We started an undergraduate minor this year and just keep on building.
0: So what types of classes go into acquiring this degree? So our degree, there's eight required classes, eight,
2: eight four credit classes. We're in a quarter system, too, so it's a little bit different. Um, most universities right on a semester schedule, but course wise and the way that we fit it in. It's kind of dull, I guess, or mundane, but the courses are uh, um, a combination of natural sciences and social sciences, arts and humanities. So we've got biomechanics of athletic performance, motor learning and sport pedagogy, which is a lot about practice planning, how people actually learn skills, uh, research, uh, understanding sport research class, uh, strength conditioning injury prevention program design class, sociology of sport coaching psychology of athletic performance, organization, administration, and philosophy and leadership of sport coaching are the required classes. And then students have to do six credits of a applied sport coaching course, which is for the for the teacher coaches that are listening. It's very similar to t- the teacher as researcher, applied research, action research. It's about first understanding yourself and how you understand problems and how you understand the world. But then it's about how do I work with other people in a dynamic setting to solve real life problems? So in that sense, it's a very applied sport uh, research class, not a traditional laboratory or survey research class. It's a combining being a scholar coach. And so one of the things that, that the college that I'm in well before I got here, uh, they're known for their scholar practitioner model. Experiential learning from experts in the field that are doing it and have done it uh, and providing you with research, uh, scientific ways of understanding across the board to help understand and hopefully solve problems, improve outcomes, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then from there, students also have to do eight credits of electives that they choose. So we do a variety of courses, uh, sport technology, exercise physiology, nutrition, uh, social psychology of the body, health and performance and kinesiology because we do have quite a few students that come from non-exercise science biology backgrounds that need to get some basic understanding of anatomy and physiology uh, in order to do well in, in a class like biomechanics or strength conditioning where you really need to understand bones and muscle move- movements as a foundational level of understanding.
0: And this is a program not you're, you're just not preparing people to go coach in college athletes you are pa- preparing people to coach all sports on all levels correct correct yeah it's it's it sounds
2: because the lay of the land in coaching education and i say this and when people hear it, they're always kind of like huh you know i never really thought about that but that's that's what we do right we're scholars we're researchers you know the the world of coaching the so-called profession of coaching is not really a profession And what I mean by that is it's not – I don't say that in a degrading way to anybody. It's a matter of kind of fact, an argument that when you look at what makes the requirements or standards for a profession, coaching basically doesn't meet it. It kind of has it in a pseudo way, but not in a really formal, legislative, accountable way. Ethics, professional body, specialized knowledge that is required, mandatory – and uh, regulated by some sort of external body. We really don't have that. We have tons of organizations, but they're not really regulating um, the profession as you would in like law, medicine, psychology, social work, so many other things. And so it's it's kind of a weird space that is unregulated in that regard.
0: Well, I, I just, the way that we've into
2: the pro, Yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day where it's like you need a license to fish, right? <laughs> but but you don't necessarily, you don't need a license to be a parent or in, in the same respect, you don't need a license to be a coach. But in this, it, what you're doing, it, it, it sort of sets these people up to win.
2: Well, and, and, and what do we mean by win too? Oof, that's a loaded one because, right, there's so many volunteer coaches, parent coaches, uh, part-time coaches, and, and there are a lot of coaches and more so nowadays getting paid some of them very, very well, you know, even at the youth level with, with various uh, private clubs or uh, travel ball leagues, you know, with with even those organizations sometimes are bringing in six or seven figures. So it's not just the coaches we see on TV. But, yeah, we're preparing all those coaches to go coach um, and trying to advocate for increased coaching education. But it's not just the availability of the education. It's got to be regulated, too. Um Otherwise, we have all this knowledge sitting on the shelf or things that we know for hundreds of years that have worked very well, but don't get standardized and taken up because there's really no requirement to do it. So that's one of the big challenges in today's age is, you know, what do we do given that coaching is really not a profession? How can we have a program like ours that thrives and meets a variety of people's needs in so many different contexts? So that's always one of the juggles that we're meeting um, in, in trying to adjust with our coursework, with culminating projects, um, flexibility, so that way we can have people in, in a thriving program, but also the, embrace that challenge of varying their context to what they partic- what, what fits their situation, because they don't have to do it at the end of the day, but they do because they want to win and and they, they want to be better coaches. It's not all just about winning. We got to we got to keep beating that horse.
0: Well, the the podcast that I do focuses a lot on the, the mental aspect of uh, sports and especially with with young people and then how it all and how how vital, you know, coaches and parents, the roles that they play in it and how it all comes together, you create this culture and then the winds will take care of themselves. Now, a couple of things. So, I I, 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 was introduced to you through the John Carroll Alumni Association. I saw you do a webinar on youth sports uh, a couple of months back, and I was, I was really intrigued. I like. I liked you know what you had to say and and where you had to go. And then, you know, as I dug a little deeper into your background and found out what you were doing, you know with this uh, masters of arts and sports coaching uh, degree program, like I really felt like this is what we really need. And I, I I saw in your bio your bio that it says your your research uses sociological and psychological theory to enhance effective and ethical coaching practice. And I have to be honest, I don't often hear the words ethical and coaching going together. <laughs>
2: there's, a, there's a great article that I read years ago. I think, I'm trying to think of it, if I was a professor then, eight, nine, 10 years ago, or if I was in grad school. I think I was a, a professor, a new professor, and a philosopher of education. There's two authors. Ah. I'm going to forget the the second one here, but uh, she's another distinguished uh, longtime professor in education. The one I can remember, his name is Dr. Gary Fenstermacher. And coaching is not a, you know, it's a relatively new profession, depending on how you understand it. If you go back into medicine and that kind of stuff and physical education. But the reason why we say I say effective and ethical, too, is because in this article on on quality coach or I'm sorry, quality teaching. Fenstermacher and the other author argue that it's not enough to just have an outcome like test scores or something like that, which is problematic too. But you have to do it the right way. The means to the ends have to be within some sort of socially appropriate norms. And so what, when we say quality teaching, we want effective and ethical. We want somebody that helps students learn and grow, but they also do it the right way. They're not abusive. They're not uh, taking the spirit and the joy out of learning and those sorts of things. And so I'm deliberate about doing that because, again, especially in sport, different contexts, we have way too many coaches and environments. It's not just the coach, right? It's not a bad apple. It's the environments that put the pressure on the coach and incentivize and reward winning, profit, exploitation, you know, psychological harm, uh, abuse time and time again these are really irrefutable sort of things like we we, i i mean penn state usoc with usa swimming usa gymnastics Uh, i mean turn on the tv at any point or get on social media and look at clips uh, of coaches in this basketball i mean you can talk about bobby knight uh and other coaches too that constantly degrading verbally assaulting uh, physically assaulting now not in in basketball and with bobby knight but uh sexual assault all this stuff is really kind of rampant and time and time again there is no systemic institutional reform you know coaches get hired and fired or move on uh and it's like the wild west out there It's, it's just a really bizarre thing and and i don't want that for my kids i wouldn't support that uh it's, I don't care what sport they play. If they have a good coach and good people, go try it, do it, great, and they're going to grow from that experience. But I'm not going to encourage them being around somebody that's abusive and corrosive to their development.
0: One of the things that's great about you is that you can speak from experience. Can you talk about your time coaching? And I know you coached on the high school level, and and you know, and in some other places. What did you? What What do you look back? When you look back on those days, what did you learn? And was there anything about you back then coaching that you would have changed?
2: Uh, I make mistakes. I made mistakes even uh, six, seven years ago. I was coaching high school football in Mississippi. And I remember saying something. I called one of our you know, 15, 16-year-olds on the team at practice one day. He was getting underneath my skin. He was He was trying to be the scout team All-American and not just run the scout team play. So we couldn't get a good look on the first team because, you know, he wanted to throw the ball, run around, play quarterback and, and be cool. And uh, I looked at him square in the eyes at practice and said, you know, you're frigging stupid. That was stupid. You are being, you know, stupid out here. And and that's just I, – I and I apologize later that night actually to him after practice. You know, that that's not a desirable thing to do. You shouldn't be looking at, you know, anybody – Uh, let alone a 15-, 16-year-old, you know, with a very somber, serious tone in saying those sorts of things. Um, And and as I've gotten older and smarter and and hopefully is starting to get rid of all of that. And so I think from back in my day, too, you know, I was into – I played football, wrestling, basketball, um, powerlifting in high school and and then in college football and and powerlifted still. And then at Tennessee and, and pro ball. Pro ball was, was mellow compared to being at Tennessee. But college level is like just super, and especially in a weight room setting too, super masculine, tough guy, a uh, lot of, you know, crazy talk and music. And, you know, then you're experiencing all these different coaches uh, and, and some good ones that did it the right way and said good things and did good things. And you try to eventually model yourself more and more after that rather than, you know, the berserk sort of coaches. Uh, and I grew up, uh, for those listeners, right? I grew up on the east side of Cleveland. I grew up in Beachwood, Ohio, and and then went down to John Carroll down the street. And I had a lot of good coaches in high school that were just – you know, I don't want to say they were all X's and O's, Masters, and it's not like we won every game, uh, but we had a great time and, and loved being around, for example, Coach Perona, uh, uh, Coach uh, Perella. Um, Dominic I. Marino, Coach I was a legend, you know, and and I didn't stick with uh, who I played basketball my freshman year. Coach Moore was there. Coach Moore was a legend, too. But just good, good folks, you know, that really cared about kids and encouraged you to work hard and and try lots of things and be your best. But they didn't go nuts. You know, uh, nobody was getting thrown in the lockers or having stuff thrown at them And and there's also some other experience I can think of, too, where when coaches get a little bit too crazy and too pressured and say things, you're like, wow, like, it, it's really not attractive for you to say that. It's not attractive for you to say that you love your sport more than you love your family um, and that we have to be totally committed to this sort of thing at all costs. Like, it, it just did not resonate even back in, you know, the 90s you know, with me. Well, so that,
0: yeah. I wanted to bring up like one of the things that struck me on your Twitter feed, the video of that kid who is in some type of Oklahoma drill or or whatever that is and this kid looks like he's about 5 years old and and the hit that he takes like I cringe and I just think I just think about the the damage that could have been done to, to to him his brain his head like the fear that that's probably put in him now he probably will not I mean I don't know but I mean I if, if he you know, got up and said I'm never doing this again I wouldn't blame him you know but but this all goes back to like the culture the coach is creating and that's what I that's why I love what you're doing because we've got to change this we've got to change these mentalities but i don't know if you want to talk more about that video or you know or just how it plays into the culture those types of things yeah
2: well and and so let's set up the video but before i forget we got to talk about what it does to the other kid that hit him too it it rewards the other kid usually right he's probably getting a lot of praise he gets some high fives he gets the attention and they adulation of the coaches there that are like, good hit, good hit, you know, like, wow, you know, and they're all reacting very strongly to it. Like, wow. Right. Because we're treating, you know, little kids like they're grown ass men, like they're, like they're professional athletes and they're not. And the drill is just wholly inappropriate. It's just wild to see that it was a, a sort of, I guess, a tackling drill where one guy's holding the ball and the other guy's trying to tackle. Him. I think it was. Yeah. And he, he, they, they're five feet away. They come around this edge and basically run to each other like a triangle. And the one kid lowers his helmet. He would have been thrown out. The kid that tackled him would have been thrown out of any, out of any league because he lowered the helmet. And he caught the other kid running underneath it, you know, about in his chin strap. And just looked like the poor kid got, you know, destroyed. And then he's laying on the ground, too. And and you can hear the coaches, like, excited about it. And it's really, child it's child abuse. I mean, the idea of, taken a anywhere for any any kid at least especially under you know the age of 13 14 you know and, and that's questionable and I played in eighth grade but these kids were younger than that they were eight or nine maybe tops and if if you saw that anywhere in the street or anywhere else in life it would be assault and again the way that in sports you take hockey as an example too or, or other sports where fighting is basically encouraged they know they don't say that but they don't do anything to stop it they could, but they encourage it because, I don't know, they think they get fans or they normalize it. But to do that with kids is just irresponsible. And that goes to show that's not an isolated thing. That happens time and time again. I mean, one of the wild things, too, in this country is we don't have any longitudinal research on abuse in sport. We're starting to kind of get there, and hopefully we're actually collecting data on that in the next month. Uh, If we, once we get research approval, but there are a lot of guys, especially, and I say that men that would look at that video or look at those coaches and excuse that sort of behavior. And then they're going to start getting defensive and calling it, you know, oh, well, you're being soft or you're, you know, feminizing or, or, or emasculating, you know, boys now. And, And you just go, I'm sorry. That argument is ridiculous. That we're going to support little children under the guise of football, in this case, abusing each other physically and then psychologically and say that that's normal, healthy, desirable is absolutely absurd. And we have to continue to say that in order to work towards somewhere where somebody's got to be held responsible. And then we have to change systems to put more accountability into place. End of discussion.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and I will tell you that, you know, this, this hit me personally for another reason. It, it not only happens in, in, you know, with the little, with the little, little kids like that, but, but high school level, this, this happened to a, to a freshman and that I know i i i I coached this kid and, and he goes to high school, ninth grade and it was a very similar situation. The coach is something. He's a smaller kid, and they're going to put him up against the biggest, fastest kid on the team in Oklahoma drill. And he doesn't want to carry the ball, <laughs> and so but and his and his buddy, who's the biggest, like like he doesn't want to hit him because he knows he's going to obliterate him. But the coaches keep saying, "You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it." So they run the drill and. The, I, I'm not naming names here, but the big kid l- kind of lays up on the little kid a l- on the first try. Coaches say, no, 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 that's not good enough. You got to do it again. Make him do it again. He obliterates him, concusses him, and the kid quit football and is not going back to play not the big kid the little kid he was done his parents were done the whole thing and that story gets out and what kind of culture do you think you have now
2: the, i mean the, the truth of it is though a lot of the coaches will probably look at that and go good that's desirable right we think that that's effective and ethical he's not tough enough get him out of here uh, he's soft. He'll never amount to anything anyway. He's not going to help us win games. Uh, you know, he, he, it was time for him to figure it out. Now he can go join the band. I mean, that's the that's the sort of talk. And you think, okay, well, why do we even have sports anymore? Is, is sports educational? Is it beneficial for the the youth? Is it helping them develop physical, interpersonal, character? You know, we say sports builds character. That that doesn't do it. Yeah, it's the same thing in a boxing fight. There's a reason why you wouldn't have a lightweight fight a heavyweight. And the arguments to the the coaches that love that kind of stuff, I mean, honestly, they have a lot of probably unresolved trauma and psychological issues of their own. And they really haven't thought about what are you even doing any of this for? Because you're not doing it to help the kids then. And all your rationalizations are pretty silly. I mean, they're, they're just bad reasons, you know. I don't like to I don't like to throw a PhD around and pretend like I'm better than somebody or smarter. But there just there are good arguments and there are bad arguments, and it, it's a bad argument to say, "Well, you know, that's how it goes." Like that does not help anybody. It is that is not what we should be doing uh, philosophically with you, sports? Yeah.
0: No. Well, a knucklehead like me can can see it, and so you can throw your PhD around. All you want, because you know this is one of the things that just really, really irks me. And I and I've seen this, you know. It it, again on a personal level, you know my my son he's he he ends up being a basketball baseball player. He tried football, and I co I wanted to make sure I was coaching. And this was third grade, and it wasn't our team. Like we we coached our kids the right way, but we got into this playoff game, and we played against this team. And I'll tell you, Brian, it was ridiculous it was it was like you like you say it was borderline assault what the what these coaches from this other team taught their players to do to their opponent and our kids are playing the game the right way and just to give you an example what makes it worse it was my kid too but Mm. what it the it's a play the play's over you know uh, he was he was on defense he runs he runs the ball carrier out of bounds they are 5 or 6 feet out of bounds this kid from the other team comes flying and just obliterates him out of bounds on the sideline their sideline's going crazy. They think it's great. We all know it's illegal. Another kid on our team that day ends up in the hospital. Broke a rib. Same thing. It was dirty. It was one hundred percent dirty. He was. He was carrying the ball out of bounds. Late hit. And we're talking third grade, Brian. And and these coaches are like you said. Like they're celebrating this. And here's what I did after the game. We got in the car. The door closed. He was in the back seat. I turned and looked at him. I said, here's the deal. I said, you are not doing this again. I said... I said, I, I don't know if it'll be for another team, but you're, we're not doing this. You are not going to be exposed to this because this is not football. This is not how it's done. And so you are not doing this. And so the next year, we did play for a different a different team. It was a it was a CYO team. And it was great. It was okay. But even in CYO, you run into these teams where it's like, what are these adults doing? You know, they're like, they're, it's like kill, kill, kill. And so then after that, His love for football kind of waned. And so, but I can see why. It was crazy that third and fourth grade, these adults, and it always, to me, it always comes back to the adults. That's why I commend what you guys are doing with your program, but it comes back to the adults teaching your kids and i agree with you i think there's some pent-up emotion that they have or some unresolved conflict that they have in their life that they have to use these kids to take it out on other kids to get their satisfaction there is just (laughs) no place for any of this in my book and i commend you for what you're doing and taking the stand
2: yeah it, it gets better when you get older and you kind of think about it and you and you coached it for years then and then you you read enough and you think about it and have to do enough activities and writing and thinking to go, this, this really is kind of wild. You know, uh, I I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I'm thinking about my nine year old right now. And if I would have saw somebody do that, I, I, I don't know what I would have done. Um, I don't think, I don't think it would have ended well. Um, I probably would have just had to leave there and, and walk away from the whole thing completely. They, uh, So for those that are listening, too, right, like it's okay to leave. And I don't use the word quit because, again, that gets thrown around in a derogatory you know, sort of way that you're a quitter. There are a lot of youth that leave sports for very smart reasons because they're no longer having fun. The people around them are not role models or mentors to look up to in any sort of the word. And so they go on and they find something else. And I give those kids and, and their parents that support that a lot of credit because your identity as a former athlete, perhaps, or achieve academically, there's the, the phrase is achievement by proxy. When you're trying to kind of live vicariously through your chi- children, you achieve if they achieve, right? Achievement by proxy. And I, I don't need to do that with my kids. My own esteem is not going to be hurt. If my kids aren't the best athletes, they don't get scholarships or they never even do sports. If they're physically and and psychologically, emotionally well-balanced, adjusted, healthy. Great. Um, You know, I, we, we, my daughter now is 14 years old and I pulled her out of gymnastics. Um, I don't know about four years ago or so because, so I'm also an athletic trainer. That's why I I did it at Carol, at John Carroll too, is I studied athletic training and so know a bit about injuries and, The coach, gymnastics coach, was doing a stretched, a forced stretch, so pushing my daughter down while holding her arms back, and she strained a muscle in her back. And you know things can happen, right? There's injuries, and some of them are unpreventable. But when I went to go talk to the coach, the one coach didn't even come to the meeting, but another coach there did, and this did not go well. Uh, This, and it's I'm, I'll be 42 this year, uh, but. In the office, the coach started coming at me and and telling me I was a bad parent and uh, my daughter wasn't doing the right things and this and that. And I was there to talk about her injury, uh, not be distracted by this other nonsense. And so I let the coach know what I thought of their practices and uh, what I thought of her approach to handling it. And then I took my kids and we left. And that was the last day. Again – We're not so committed to it. It's not worth it um, to endure that. And moreover, hopefully, we can actually get to the point where we don't have coaches and organizations that do that and with the freedom to do that, too. There's just not enough uh, regulation and organizations like Safe Sport, which is a protective organization for abuse in sport. We don't have nearly enough of it because it's the wild west out there so keep an eye on whoever's coaching your kids and and believe what your eyes are telling you Dave. if you see that kind of stuff and broken ribs and, and late hits and cheap shots nope that's just a no and and there's no there's no athletic director there's no owner there's no board if they're not actually right there in the moment taking care of that nope
0: you brought up the the other facet of this and it doesn't have to be bully coaching doesn't have to be just this physical abuse that we've been talking about for the last few minutes it it, and you you touched on the the mental abuse that can happen and one one big one for me is the, the stripping of the confidence of the players when when coaches say things and, you know, they'll tell a kid something and don't follow through on it. I, I use an example a, on a podcast. Uh, and this, these are stories parents tell me. Uh, kid was told he was, you know, he was going to close this game. It was a big game. You know, the starter goes into the seventh inning. He starts getting hit. They end up losing the game. He never ter- goes to the kid that he, you know, he told was going to close the game. They end up losing the game. They're knocked out of the playoffs, and you know, and now this kid, you know, he, he it's just, it, it's a, it's a mental mind blow, you know, for this kid, and and how is he ever going to trust that coach again? And you know that he's going to tell his teammates. What happened? He's like, I don't know why he didn't. put he told me I was gonna close. I don't know why he left. You know, Jimmy in, and Jimmy's in there getting rocked, and we end up losing the game. I don't know what. You know what I mean? And they're all gonna talk, and they're all gonna wonder. Well, what if he does that to me? Like, like that trust factor is so big when you're when you you know when it comes to culture, and when you're abusing a player's mind like that and stripping them of confidence. To me, I think is, I mean, it's equally as bad as as the physical abuse. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is that part of what you teach your coaches before you send them out into the world?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so it's interesting when you talk about and, and somebody having to define what we mean by abuse, interpersonal violence, maltreatment. You know, these are things that, of course, uh, you know, professors, academics and national governing bodies, um, uh, governments have to debate because the definition, it's not a tree, right? It's, it does, it's not a physical thing. So we have to de- define what we mean by that. And so defining what we mean by abuse or just poor coaching, ineffective coaching, really you have to get into some conceptual clarity because if I say, you know, if I call you a name, Dave, if I, you know, or say something about your uh, gender, sexuality, religious um, affiliation, you know, something like that that ties into issues of diversity inclusion, uh, equity, and inclusion, equity, and just human decency. That, that can be a little bit more in the uh, abuse sort of realm than it is just poor communication. You know, what I heard you describe there, too, is also poor communication, relationship building, and telling... In this case, telling the one kid on the team and telling the whole team, look, very clearly, and you can write these things out. And we try to have students write them out. We have them act them out. So, they have to perform it just like they tr- would try and, and rehearse it in real life. Uh, and then they have to verbally sometimes articulate it. So, we use a variety of modalities to enhance these skills. This is not just right, read a book and regurgitate something and say, I got this. There's multiple ways to be effective, just like in coaching, right? I, I want you to learn how to throw throw a ball, or hit, or do a jump shot. You're going to practice it. We're not just going to talk about it. So we we do these things too, right? Um, in this case, you'd have to you you would want to encourage the coach to say, "Look, you know, we value winning. We're going to try to win. This is not a let's say a rec team where everybody plays equally, right? I'm trying to put the best uh, team out there to win the game. And uh, this is now at the high school level, for example." Great. People can understand that. They can live with that. They know the standards. They know the rules. It's the same. And on the job, if you have job clarity and you know what the rules are, you can go live with it. You might not like it, but at least you can respect the outcome. You can follow along with the decision making, the transparency. Well, when you don't, you know, when you tell people things or don't tell them upfront what's going to happen or you tell them one thing and then don't you know, over time and time and then. Like you're saying, you're going to lose that trust. So, right, we've got to get coaches to think about those sorts of things and be able to communicate effectively. And and that's not the same as being abusive. That's more, I think, a ineffective, poor relationship building, poor communication, not realizing that if you're sacrificing today or sloppy in your approach or you're such an authoritarian that you don't think you have to explain anything to anybody if you're really that naive to not realize how that's going to affect people and in today's age it, it's not going to fly
0: so what do you recommend to to somebody okay maybe you know the maybe they're a little older maybe they've already gone to college and they're going to coach their you know how 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 it happens with so many of us right we have kids and then all of a sudden we're going to be coaches right what what would you recommend that they they focus on especially if they're a new coach, what, what are some, are there little tips you can give them, whether it is, you know, uh, make sure you're communicating and following through on what, you know, what you're saying or, or, you know, from, from, you know, th- th- I want you to throw that PhD around now, you know, because this is what happens. This is to me, this is how it happens. Right. It's just, you know, you're a guy. And then the next thing, you know, because there's usually there's nobody. Else. That's how I start. I mean, I, I always plan to coach, but at, at the time I, you know, I told them, I said, Hey, I can help out. My work schedule's a little crazy. I said, but I, I can help out. Then I they're like, okay. I put my down as, I put myself down as assistant. I get a call and they're like, Oh, uh, so you're the head coach. And I'm like, uh no. And they're like, no, no, you're the head coach. Cause there was nobody else to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. all right, I guess I need to figure this out then, you know? And so I think that happens to so many people. They have kids and now they want to be involved. And now all of a sudden they're the coach. So what, what, you know, do you, do you have maybe like a three point bullet, you know, bullet point <laughs> list or anything that you can do to, to help us dads and moms that all of a sudden overnight become coaches?
2: There's the ABCs. Um, no, they, I wish I would have had an ABC. That'd be a clever acronym, I guess, or something, <laughs> mnemonic device to remember it. Uh, the, the one is right. Get more moms and women coaching. At the end of the day, they're less abusive, and and they're not as crazy as guys. Um, and and again, that's bottom line fact too. That uh, women make great coaches in in general, and they're less abusive. And so at the end of the day for coaching, especially kids, you should have more women coaches and women around the area, um, coaching, assistant coaching, overseeing it because you're probably going to discourage some bad male behavior with more women around there too, because you're going to realize real quickly that the women are not going to tolerate or support uh, your, your nonsense. And I'm, and I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here intentionally too, but obviously there's exceptions, but male bonding and men are going to, have each other's backs, right? And, and back each other up. Um, sometimes no matter what. And that's a problem. It's a problem in sports. It's a problem in, you know, I uh, see it in military or tactical settings, uh, police, fire, in a workplace, in, in, in corporations when there's nothing but, uh, too many, uh, men, uh, and too much masculinity, a little too much machismo going on. Um, so as a sidebar, all right. Three tips, jeez, uh, hey, I always, I always like dude, It's hard for me to do the three tip thing, and I will tell you what, right, because I, I envision a world where we actually have a little bit of a better system for a sport and for coaching, a little bit more level one for everybody. Somebody on scene that is operating with like a license, and if I see day, like let's say I have the coaching license, and you're the you're the parent volunteer or even getting paid. When I see you do something, you know, out of line, I'm there addressing it right away because one, it's the right thing to do. And I'm, I'm, you're using my license, just like in medicine or some other field where you're operating kind of under my supervision. Somebody there needs to be way more critical thinking, higher skilled, um, overseeing and regulating and supporting too. Not just being punitive, but redirecting. Right. So one tip I think of it right now, I just got done coaching my my son's Un9 soccer team. And the same thing, like you just said, right, like you sign the kids up. There's no coach. There's no coach. And this is also crazy. Uh, there's no coach. There's no coach. They just took your money. They just took your two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or more. And there's no coach. What are we getting in return for any of this money? Nothing. We're, we're signing the kids up for competitions rather than just playing down the park and moving. All right. That's a, that's a, a sidebar. But I'm telling the one uh, dad that was helping me out, Coach, too, he was talking to the one of the kids during the games, and he's yelling out there, you know, move up, move up, or move back, move back. And the kid kind of moves a little bit, but, you know, they don't know how far. They don't really know where they are in the larger space of the field. So I look at the dad and I said, tell him exactly, like, how many feet and what direction, you know? Take two big steps to the right. So that specificity and feedback and giving a specific concrete target, right? You yell that out to the field and the kid does exactly what he what you told him to. So, you have the effectiveness. You have the effect that you desired. Because as – and this is probably one of the next point then is – so, in your feedback, right, you need to be reflecting in what you're saying. If what you're saying does not have the effect that you intended, there's nothing wrong with the kid. There's something wrong with your feedback, and so, you've got to go, what is it I am doing or what's happening in the environment? Was it the airplane that just flew overhead and now they're all looking at it? You can try to scream over an airplane, but you're going to lose, especially out here in Colorado now with the you know, the fighter jets and, and we've got the Air Force out here and they do flyovers all the time. So, giving very specific either demonstrations, feedback, external cues, using the space to have physical markers. And that's how you can start to control and orderly move, move people around in a, in a, in an effective fashion. Step two, right? Is then reflecting on what you're doing. And if it's not having the entire intended effect, don't blame the kids. Realize that learning and performing are both separate processes that take time. You're not expected to turn you know little Billy or Jane into professional athletes the next week. It's gonna take time depending on where they are developmentally. So you need to reflect and grow and give yourself time uh, and, and realize that you can become a better coach. Uh, and then the, the next one is still is, is with these kids is, is to remember to have fun. If you're not out there having fun enjoying the experience, Seeing kids laugh, you know, give each other high fives uh, and and emotionally being in tune to why is this kid crying right now or why is this kid have a sad face? Why is this kid's frustration tolerance so low that he's kicking and screaming, you know, and stopping this, try to talk to the kids and say, hey, you know, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Let's just have fun. Try your best. Uh, Don't worry about this that and what maybe parents are saying or that you have to mirror uh, the kid next to you or be as good as them or be the best uh, that you see on TV you know these unrealistic expectations that sport and your body and and being around your friends competing and and learning and growing together those are the sorts of things that get people to come out and stay out um, not the other things that really discourage and, and are those comparisons amongst each other those kinds of things tend to be more discouraging and leave to more people leaving sport. So how was that for three? That was three there.
0: That was money. I mean, th- that's exactly what I was looking for and, you know, the, the, especially the part about being specific, I will tell you this, that one thing that I, and I forget where I learned this. I don't know if it was a positive coaching Alliance video or something that I watched, but, but one of the things that I learned early on and it helped me a lot was don't coach the obvious. So, you know, uh, somebody's up to bat, they swing and miss. Oh, hit the ball. That's not yeah, coaching. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, so we,
2: <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in in the literature they would call some of that like knowledge of results. And it's and so knowledge just so we can hear it again knowledge of results, right? like you missed the ball. Okay, thank you. I realized right. that. you know like even I'm six years old and I realized I was supposed to kick the ball or hey, you missed it there it hit the rim. like thank you. I, it, it was apparently obvious to me right when it happened and I know that the ball's supposed to go in. I actually like playing with my my other, my nine year old too, basketball, for example, because like when he, especially when he was, you know, a year or two earlier, younger, he would hit the backboard of the rim and he thought he was doing pretty well. And I was like, heck yeah, you're doing fantastic, right? Now, of course, you know, by adult standards, he's terrible. But if that kid smiles and he's getting closer to making a hoop and he's having a great time, by all means, let's throw that ball at the backboard and the rim and have a great time. So that's that's knowledge of results but yeah you you really should be thinking about how do i give them a demonstration feedback instruction a cue etc to get the performance that we want the desired performance and usually some uh, it, it, to summarize the a demonstration a quick demonstration uh, of the correct technique and the incorrect technique and then maybe an external cue to focus on so something not just, you know, like squeezing your quads here and use your muscles. It's more like uh, jump to the sky or try to jump up and touch the net. You're, you're giving them an external target that's going to motivate the behavior that you're looking for uh, rather than, hey, when you jump, make sure you use your legs. Like that's not a really effective cue. And I'm not making fun of anybody, too. I'm just saying like literally, too, with the research, like telling somebody to jump uh, and, and touch the goal or touch the rim touch the net gives them an external cue rather than you know Like squeezing your legs and saying use your hips you when know, to jump and, and swing your arms like yeah Okay, but if it's there are other things you can do there and say they're gonna be more effective and that, again That's what we mean by effective right is does X cause Y does do, are you getting the enti- intended? Desired effect that you want if you did you're effective and when you combine that with being ethical and having the right mission then your quality.
0: I want to make sure, are, are you still good on time? Do we, are, are you, do we, okay, good. Cause I, cause I, there's a couple of more things that I want to get into. and And one of them is along those, those same lines is like, I always had a coach tell me be consistent, same sort of thing, like be consistent it's like that's you're not helping me everybody wants to be consistent right I want to hit every three-pointer I shoot right I want to you know I want to I want to strike out everybody you know like if I strike out the first two guys and I don't get the third guy I'm not being consistent like what you know but it's like you know and and to me that's that this, you know, the specifics I think is, is what really matters. And it goes back to setting those smart goals for the long one, right? The smart goals, right? Those specific, measurable, attainable, realistic time setting, you know, things that you can really, you know, that are palpable almost that you can, you can, you can look at it every day, every practice, every game, whatever it is, and know whether or not you're getting better. And then maybe then you're creating that consistency, but to tell somebody, you know, something that general is not going to get the job done. And that's why I love that story of you, you know, explaining to the coach, you got to tell them two steps to the left, one step back. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and it makes a world of difference. The specifics really matter.
2: Well, in, in a lot of technical skills, which is a lot of what sport is—is is, is a lot of discrete technical skills, and I can think about my me shooting free throws, and I was terrible. Uh, was, I had a terrible shot. I always have. My wrist—I—I I always blame my wrist, the fine motor skills, and I could never be consistent, right? In in my shot, my, every shot I took, you know, it was like saying a prayer, and I had no idea sometimes where the ball was going to end up, but I couldn't shoot. You know, I could hustle and play defense and jump around a little bit, and it was quick, but. And I would play hard and, and stay on you and give you no easy baskets, but I could not shoot, you know, and I would have loved to have had a coach too tell me, you know, this is what you need to focus on, right? Like you need to have the right angle here, 45, 40, 45 degree angle. You know, you got to flip your wrist this way. Uh, here's what you should be thinking about, you know, when you're doing this kind of shot or looking, you know, I would look at the front of the rim, the back of the rim, the backboard, you know, try a million different things and, Was just all over the place, and just trying to figure it out myself. Obviously, you know, didn't really work out very much. So, if you can, if you know the sport, and it's got it's kind of a discrete skill. There's a front, there's there's a beginning and an end to it. You should be able to figure out systematically what instruction, feedback, uh, external focus, visual focus. You should be able to experiment and have some of those things that work and go. Those are your go to sort of things to use time and time again. And, and you know, I was more into weight room coaching, but those were the sort of things that, you know, we all developed was the right sort of communication and demonstration to get people to do back squat, bench press, power clean, you know, all those sorts of things really well. And then you get them excited and praise them at times uh, and challenge them at times to keep them motivated and using the SMART goals as another motivational strategy. So...
0: You're, you know, it, it's, 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 you're, you're so right with, with all of this, at, at least in my mind. I am a huge fan of you. And another, th- <laughs> another thing, seriously, though, because, and then another thing you talked about on that webinar that, that I watched you do with the John Carroll Alumni Association is you talked about positive youth development. Can you, PYD, PYD is how you refer to it. Can you please explain, you know, what positive youth development is and what it entails?
2: The the, uh, the short version is, right, it's something desirable that is philosophically oriented towards developing healthy, biologically, psychologically, socially uh, minded children. There are some precise terms. Uh, they they go by the five C's and I'm going to forget them. I'm going to Google them while I'm sitting here, actually, uh, so I can remember because it's, it's like connection, competence, care. Uh. Let me look at another couple up, but those are the kind of five targeted outcomes of positive youth development. But let me see if that we're going to have a weird pause here.
0: That's okay. This is this is you know it's it's important. It's very important information. You know, and and you know it's not just you know for the coaches that we're talking about here. It's for parents to look out for for these sort of things. You know, like you said you know, if, if you're seeing these things happening, applaud, you got a good coach, but if you're not, if it's the opposite of what, you know, what we were talking about earlier, then you need to do something about it. Whether it's pulling your, your, your child out of there, going to somebody to, to report it. Or, you know, if it's a safe sport, uh, if it's connected to safe sport, you know, making that call and, and letting somebody know that this isn't right, what's happening. on on the field or on the court. So it is very important that we can get this information out to people. Because like I said, so many of us end up, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're double income, no kids. And then the next day we're a parent. And then seven years later, we're a coach, (laughs) you know, and it's like, okay.
2: Well, you really should too, right? We should have greater education for parents to become a parent. It's really one of the wild sort of things too that we don't have often much either in high school or in college. You know, you don't have many classes on becoming a good parent, uh, which is really kind of wild too, right? When you think about what are we doing with education and schooling? Um, so the C's here. Yeah. So the, the, the C's that I'm pulling up on PYD, positive youth development, competence, confidence, connection, character, caring or compassion and contribution. Uh, that sense of belonging. And then, right, a quick Google search of PYD is going to come up with similar sort of things in terms of holistic, positive, you know, or growth-oriented, safe, trustworthy relationships with adults and others, uh, developing socially um, desirable skills, you know, uh, social relationships, um, fostering resilience, self-determination, um, yeah, different forms of identity and also not then the negative sorts of things the violence, the hate, the ultra competitiveness, the self lack of self compassion, the or- perfectionist orientation. Uh, you know, those things too, especially over time. Uh, we talk about it, it can, it can build a diamond. You can, you can become really shining in gold, but you look at a lot of professional athletes and, uh, all sports. I can think of a basketball with Kevin Love is one that got a lot of attention for mental health issues in the last couple of years. But even professional athletes, with all of those resources that they have, sometimes end up with mental health problems where they've got to go see therapists and, and treat that. And we just saw it well recently here in, in tennis um, with her. With her, uh, what was what's her name? Uh, is that Nakoko? Or a puff. Like, jeez, I'm terrible with this. Yeah,
0: it's the call me
2: uh Osaka. What's yeah. her name? Uh Naomi Osaka. Yeah. Yes. So she pulls out of the Grand Slam because of mental health and, and the pressure to do a press conference afterwards. And yeah, I can I'm old enough to remember when uh what's his name? The running back showed up in football with to press conferences with a helmet on. And it was a sort of a protective feature, I guess. Uh, Was that Ricky Waters? Ricky Williams?
0: I was thinking thinking Ricky Williams. Yeah. But But again, like... like, Yeah, and you're talking about elite athletes here, right? You know, struggling with this.
2: Those are elite athletes. So they're the best of the best. You would think that they believe in themselves and have great confidence or efficacy. And clearly, they know they're better than Joe Schmoe, you know, the average person. But they also put so much pressure on themselves, have such high expectations. Uh, And then the demands that are asked of them to be great, not only at their sports, but be great at talking to the media, be great at handling school, be great at, you know, uh, if you have even food insecurities or economic insecurities. And a lot of the, the college athletes don't have a lot of money. So it's not like they've even got that to fall back on or, or mental health resources or there might be somebody that they can talk to, but are they encouraged to or does it get looked down upon? Is it seen as a sign of weakness? And so, well, how come you didn't go see the therapist or talk to the counselor? Well, because that's what, you know, not tough guys do. That's what the softies do. That's what babies do. That's what non-tough masculine people do. So they don't even get to use the resources that might be available to them. Yeah, they get no. labeled abnormal, abnormal, or stigmatized. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and you know, and this this is like the the times have changed. I mean, we just you know we're getting I think we're getting smarter, and I hope you know when when I pick the brains of super smart people like yourself, I hope you know it helps at least one person at a time, you know, to realize, um, you know, like. They're we're we're better than what, we're better than that.
2: <laughs> what if I what if I say this too, right? Because I, I thought about this. I don't like. Okay, I, yeah, of course I like it. Right, every academic and professor loves to be told they're smart. But let, let's not let's let's say like it's available to all of us, though, right? Like, and there's things you know that I don't know. uh You've coached, and and I would learn a lot from you. But if we can just actually study. And read and think and dialogue and make information available to folks and make it more accessible to where it's also not always so complex or disjointed, right? Stuff's all over the place. How do I provide good resources for folks that meets them where they're at and meets their developmental needs just like we do with kids? It's available. We could all be doing much better. So, I I don't want to say it's just a talent sort of thing like we do in sports. Like, oh, they're just talented. No, we can, we can work hard at these sorts of things. We can reach out. We can re- develop our repertoire. And maybe we have a lot to learn. You know, I have a terrible sense of direction. I'm not great with machines. Um, I look at woodwork and sometimes spatial issues, and I'm terrible at it. Okay. So I'll learn. I'll ask people for help. I'll read other things, and I'll get better at it. But it's it's not just a super smart sort of thing, too, right? Like, same thing like Elon Musk and others. Like, Elon Musk not, did not develop Tesla. He did not develop solar powers and so and, and, and car cell energy batteries and that kind of stuff. They've got teams and thousands of scientists and, you know, hundreds of res- years of research prior to that that led up to those sorts of things. And, again, when you democratize that or make it available for folks, then we can all benefit from that. So that's the public good sometimes that we we forget about that universities and institutions that are really helping society are engaged in in, in helping uh, everybody thrive. Yeah.
0: So if people, if there are people out there who want to get in touch with you, maybe you because know, because I know your master's program is available online. So Maybe they want to take the mat. You know, maybe they want to get get their master's in uh, in coaching. Like, what what are some of the ways people can get a hold of you and reach out to you? If they have questions or if they want to get involved in the program.
2: Yep. Uh, I tell you, too, because we actually have our our at media, our our mean age in our program is probably close to 30 or so. You know, we've got the 20 year olds that are fresh out of college or coached a couple of years or did something in another profession and said, you know, I'm not going to sit behind a desk or uh, wear a suit and tie every day. Or if I am, I'm also going to do something like sports and coaching because I need to balance that out and have something that's a little bit more enjoyable uh, in my life, too, than just the eight to five sort of thing. So we've got we've had 40 year olds, 50 year olds, uh, all types uh volunteers, uh, Division three, one, you know, private clubs, parent coaches. It's, it's not that uncommon uh, to have those folks that go back to school. Um, so to get a hold of me, it'd be on, uh, email would be brian.garity. So B-R-I-N dot garity, G-E-A-R-I-T-Y at du dot edu. Uh, social media is Dr. Garrity on all the channels. Uh, but then just Google us and, and shoot us an email, or shoot myself or anybody in our admissions team. We've got great people, uh, that, you know, we all respond generally pretty quick is and if you fill out a form online too and just reach out do a little inquiry on that kind of thing and then every month actually too just about recently especially we've been doing meet and greets and those are great too because we get about you know a dozen to 20 people that drop in for an hour we got a little presentation and slideshow that we do but but you can see right like i can turn cat very casual very quickly and if You know, there's five people there that ask specific questions. I'm going to answer and talk to them as individuals, not just sit there and read off of a slide. You know, so that's another way that people get to know us and realize, all right, you know, these folks are very available. They care about what I'm doing and my growth, and they have their curriculum and our courses and a plan. But we're going to be able to work with them to use the variety of knowledges and skills to hopefully get them better specifically at what they're doing and adapt that's the other thing too I tell our students all the time this is just a start you know we're always engaged in ongoing development and learning as a process and changing and hopefully improving ourselves and I don't I, I didn't say it on the on the, on the John Carroll podcast Dave, but I'm actually back in school myself'm I'm, I'm doing the MBA program online and it'll I just finished my first year of it it'll take me three years. But I avoided all of the business classes for my entire life. I took a year of econ at John Carroll and promptly switched majors to phys ed, exercise science. <laughs> and, and that was my, that was my foray into what I do. But just now, 20 years later, you know, going back for another master's. Um, and I, and I'm loving it. I just finished strategic management. I love the class.
0: Oh, well, uh, a lot to do awesome. with coaching,
2: coaching and leadership.
0: That, that's awesome. And I'll tell you here, this is a, this is a 100%. True story for you, Dr. Garrity. Orientation Day, John Carroll. I, th- I mean, I thought I would major in communications, something along those lines. I mean, I was probably like, you know, 75% sure. But go to orientation, and I sit down, and they start talking about the classes you have to take for communications. And there aren't any math classes listed. I said, wait a minute. I don't have to take any math classes. They're like, if you major communications, you don't have to take any math classes. I said, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I said, for sure. That's what I'm doing. And I majored in communications at John Carroll. It happened on, I see it, sealed the deal. No math. It was what sealed the deal for me in majoring in communications at John Carroll. So, you know, it, it you know, it happens, you know, that's
2: so. how people do it. Oh, <laughs> I know it. I mean, when I was my first professor job too, I would listen to students and And even now, they would go to universities that didn't require the GRE, you know, a grad entrance exam. And eventually, you start talking to various folks or administrators at the university and going, hey, you know, we're losing students because of a $200 exam that really doesn't have much value. They're literally going down the street, even to more expensive schools, studying something that they really don't want to because we've got this cockamamie barrier put up. Hey, how about we remove the barrier and you go, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's look at the evidence and our reasoning again. Yeah, we can probably make an adjustment. Yeah. Good. You know, you don't, you don't need to drag your feet, you know, for those sorts of things. It's I not. always look at it too, like in your, in your case too, right? Like I look in, in, in sport then. Why do so many people struggle in an, in an anatomy class or a biomechanics class? What happens and how can we then develop materials? Just like in coaching, how do we help? Every kid succeed. And it's different, right? Because learning and performance are two different things. Performance, you can see learning is more internal. Short, short definition. But how do I become a better teacher or coach and help somebody acquire those skills? Knowing that they don't all have to be, again, the, the best of the best. We focus too much on that one. The elite level. Let's just help everybody down the middle of the road and turn the pyramid of, of youth sports upside down and this, instead of focusing on the elite and the professionals and the olympians and the the top earners let's help the youth let's help the adults and the you know masters or elderly athletes stay active and stay engaged because we're not you know, that, as I mean, much that, as we talk, yeah, we're not. That's what it's yeah. all
0: about. Let's get let's We all want the same things. Let's get everybody ready for the game of life. Right. Let's get everybody, prepare them for life.
2: It's good philosophically, right? In in practice, overcoming and operating with uh, in a capitalistic, you know, politically charged environment. You know, those are the hurdles, I think, to making some alarm structural change and systemic changes and actually saying like, look, we all agree on a lot of these things, don't we? Yes. All right. But how can we now align it so we can make this happen? Ah, you know, there's the rub.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And this has been great. Like I, as you can tell, I can sit and talk about this forever. I, I love this stuff, but I, you know, um, I, I know, you know, I want to be mindful of your time. And so, but before I cut you loose, I have to, we always do what's the coolest at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I'm sure you've got an interesting answer to this with the, with the background that you have. What is the coolest place you've ever coached, played, or watched a game? Cuba. Do tell.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm trying, I'm thinking about it as soon as, this, that's what came out, that's what I, my initial thought was where I coach play. I went to, so I've been, to, I've been, it's so weird. I've been to Cuba and China for various sporting type of things. But when I was, this is, when I was a strength coach for Tennessee baseball in 2003, I think it was, or 2005. Geez. Um, we got special visas and permission, uh, to at the time too, cause you couldn't go to Cuba. Uh, and so we got special, state department, you know, visas to go on a tourist exchange on a cultural ch- exchange. So we went to Cuba with the entire baseball team and we played a series of exhibition games. And so as the strength coach, I was fortunate enough to go as well and spend five days down in Cuba. Um, and it was, we spent half a day doing kind of cultural activities, half a day playing baseball. And I even, I, one of our, this is wild too. Uh, one of our I'll say tour guides. He he drove taxi. He was a former Olympic Olympian for Cuba, and his state-sponsored job right afterwards was to drive taxi, and so that's what he did. He was a fairly young guy too, I think, in his maybe in his thirties. But he he took me over by myself. We hopped in the cab one day, and he said, "He said hey, you want to check out the training center?'" I said, "Sure, of course I do," you know. And we're driving down the highway, you know, the two of us going to this Olympic Training Center, too, in Cuba. And so I got to tour facilities there with him and just check it all out. And it was wild because it's, in, in some ways, it's a very old society with old antique cars and and a lot of new foreign, uh, you know, BMWs and Mercedes. Um, and then equipment that's old, and then they have some things that are very modern, too. So just a, a great eye-opening sort of experience
0: that is awesome that that is awesome guess like, that's why i love asking because the answers are always so different and every single answer is always cool <laughs> like you know and that's why i, I love doing that at the end of the podcast dr brian gerty i can't thank you enough for for coming on today and shedding some light on you know what you do the program and how you know people can apply this stuff right now um in their everyday life, in their everyday coaching, you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, six or seven year old youth team or a high school or a college and beyond.
2: Yeah. And I, well, I appreciate being here. I'm happy to chat right with, with anybody about this sort of stuff and how to get better all the time. But, you know, if you're coaching five, six year olds too, or 10 year olds, 15, you know, or, or adults, it doesn't matter. But, you know, like I, I had an AD at Tennessee once say too, you know, we're talking about this other coach. You know, and I'm kind of the same way, I, I hope, in some regards. But you just coach anybody at any time, any place. Try to get them better and be a positive influence on their life and, and be supportive of what they're That's doing it. and try to, you know. and But it, the the smiles that you can bring, the joy that you can bring, the encouragement, you know, that emotion is going to be more powerful than just some sort of discrete skill uh, or pushing somebody just a little bit further. Uh you know, so don't discount what you're doing with the, with the little kids or anybody. Uh, it, it's not a hierarchy in that regard, right? Um, we don't talk about uh, this is one, one comparison. We don't talk about professors in the same way, right? Like we don't, we don't say like the second grade teacher isn't as good as a, uh, is the 10th grade teacher isn't as good as the college professor because it just doesn't, that, that logic never crept into teaching. But the idea that a pro coach is somehow inherently better than a youth coach. No, we, we, we really got to focus more on the youth and others because they're the ones that we should be more concerned about than you know professional or collegiate athletes that have really just ample resources and support staff and uh, many times good salaries. And, and I'm not saying that we should forget about those folks. I'm just saying give yourself a pat on the back, too, for the other good work that you do and know that it makes a difference.
0: That is absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Dr. Garrity. My pleasure. Remember, folks, build your players' strengths, find them all a role, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.